Hello and welcome to episode 12 of No Techno Bubble. I'm Kyle Heath, I'm the host of this podcast. This week I want to talk about an incident that's happened in the recent news and it's regarding something that's quite well known in the IT industry and quite well known by people in business. That's the idea and the concept of ransomware or malware or cybercrime, whichever one you want to call it. Well, particularly this week, I want to talk about a ransomware attack, how ransomware attacks happen, what the impacts are on your business, and in, in particular, how this is actually affecting a business at the moment that's been affected by this. You may have seen in the news this week, and this is March 2019 we're talking about, around the 19th of March 2019, there was a ransomware attack reported by a business, uh, one of the world's largest aluminium manufacturers. The company are called Norsk Hydro. They employed somewhere around 35,000 people in 40 countries. And they reported in the media that their website was down, all their internal systems were down. They had no access to any of their computers in the business. In fact, they'd left notes for employees that they expected them and said to them, don't log on to your computers in the morning. That's quite a big thing if you think about it be pretty bad in most businesses to be able to go in on a Monday morning and not be able to use the computer system. It'd be pretty hard for most of us to be able to do our job. Imagine that on the scale of a company that's got 35,000 employees. So how does this kind of thing happen? What is a ransomware? What are these cyber attacks? What do we need to know about them? And can they happen to our business? Well, the answer is, yeah, they can happen to your business. And first of all, what you've got to do is understand how they work and what they're about. Well, the word ransomware comes from a combination of two words. One, ransom, i.e. what's going to happen is going to hold you to ransom. So you're expected to pay the criminals a sum of money in order to get something back. That's the ransom aspect. And the where is a holdover from software and hardware. And the two just got put together and called ransomware. And the way these kind of malwares work is they get the criminals get somebody to open a program. And it's usually an email attachment is how it happens. They send them an email. And it's one of those phishing emails. So it'll be an email that's trying to attract your attention. It'll say it, that it's an invoice for something or it's a file that you need to open. They can get that to you. You open the file. The file runs. And what that file does then is it has a look at your computer, sees what data's on it, then sees what other data is connected to your computer, and then uses the software to encrypt that data. What that means is the criminals use a, a public key encryption system. So there's an encryption system that's used by companies like Apple and WhatsApp to encrypt the data that we use on our devices, except the criminals use those kind of technologies to encrypt your data on your computers. And then they say to you, if you don't pay us X, Y, Z amount of money, then you're not going to have your data back and you're going to need to restore from backup or pay us the money. And you can't crack this encryption stuff. You can't break this encryption very easily. Sometimes it's not possible to break this encryption at all. Sometimes it is possible. There's mistakes in the encryption and it can be broken. But this isn't the sort of stuff that most people are going to be able to do in their business. And I don't even mean that most people in IT departments are going to be able to do it. It goes above and beyond that side of things. So if one of these ransomware attacks happen in your company, what tends to be the first thing that you see is you can't open any of your files you open a word document a pdf and it will say windows will generally say this file is corrupt or damaged or cannot be opened and you don't really know why there's nothing that stands out that you've been attacked it's can't open the file and then you'll have a look and you might see that there's a file on your desktop and the desktop file will be ransom dot something and you open that and then that's the message from the hacker saying your files have been encrypted this is what's going to happen this is how long you've got to pay the ransomware before we won't give you the the antidote, you might say, the, the tool that will unencrypt your data, and here's how you pay the money to us. These kind of things are actually really, really common. They're happening all of the time, and they have a massive impact on the businesses that they affect. Now, this instance was Norsk Hydro who were affected by this, but over the last few years, there's been some really big, high-profile companies that have been affected by this kind of thing. There was Merck in 2017, the shipping agent, and they spent somewhere around £300 million to resolve their problem. There was Costco, who equally spent around £300 million in 2016. And then in the UK, there was quite famously the WannaCry virus that affected the UK in 2017. And that had a total cost of around £92 million to the NHS in the UK for this kind of ransomware attack. Now, this kind of thing can be prevented in a business 
It doesn't have to actually happen. And if you follow what are called best practices in the IT industry, this kind of thing doesn't actually happen. So the key is, is, is you know, why? Why are these? Why are these things happening? Why are big organisations like Norse Hygro and Merck and Costco being affected by these things? I think we can all probably agree that these companies aren't short of money. You know, if they spent three hundred million cleaning up on it, they're not short of money. So what is it that's stopping them from solving these problems? Because what we'll see in the press is that what happens is you've had a well-coordinated and strategic cyber attack that's affected the business. But most people who work in IT know that that's not really what's going to be the case. With the ransomware, it's most likely, as I've said, that someone sent an email through and then somebody has opened the attachment in the email. And then because of the design of the network and how files are saved and stored in the network, this kind of thing has then been able to take hold. Nobody's noticed. And before they know it, all their data has been encrypted. So what we want to do now is have a look at what kind of things are actually actually causing this? What the real problem is that's causing these kind of things to happen in a business? And I believe at the moment the real root cause of this problem is mostly <laughs> that technology isn't really taken seriously by the majority of people who run organisations and businesses. They'll say all these things are important to them. You'll see a lot of marketing bump from companies that say that they really value the power of new technologies and they're harnessing new technologies but they're, they're not using them inside their business. Actually, their operations and the structure of their business are based on very, very old IT principles, what I call traditional IT as opposed to modern IT. And traditional IT is where you have computers on desks with software that's installed that connect to other computers that you have in the building that contain data, servers and computers, and you back these up. And it's the thing that we did in IT for 20 years as opposed to modern IT, where I call modern IT is cloud-based IT, where the applications and services that you access are on any device. So they're available over the internet on mobiles and tablets and laptops and desktops. They're stored in the cloud in data centers by bigger providers. They're not stored in your building. And they're not available in the traditional ways that files are available in traditional IT. They're available through web browser and apps. So traditional IT is software that's installed on computers. Windows is very much in that frame. Windows is very much traditional IT. Microsoft Office is traditional IT. Sage Accounts, Sage 200, all of these things are traditional IT. Modern IT would be classified as things like Gmail, G Suite, Zero for accountancy, those kind of things. They are all app-based, web browser-based. They run out of the Chrome browser. That's a cloud-based system. So those are the two differences that I'm talking about when I talk about modern IT and traditional IT. Most businesses run based on traditional IT, and there's a reason for that. It's what's been around for the last 20 years. Modern IT is, is something over the last five years. So traditional IT has the time on its side. It has the tenure. It is the crafty veteran. Problem is, most of traditional IT life, the benefit was being able to have a computer on your desk that you could run a spreadsheet, do some documents, send an email and print something. It gave you an advantage, but the advantage wasn't huge. And mostly the advantage was that you had to have it because somebody else had it too. So you were really only keeping up with the Joneses. You had a computer because somebody else had a computer. You did a spreadsheet because someone else did a spreadsheet. It enabled you to do those kind of things, but you weren't really getting any serious advantage by having a computer system. It was unnecessary evil in a business to have a computer system. That's really, really changed over the last five years. The amount of things that you can do with apps on phone and that you can do in the cloud and the kind of AI power that you've got and the processing and the ability to work from anywhere, work at different times, streamline how you work your business, whatever you want to call it. Modern technology with apps and tablets and laptops and moving people around has given us the ability to completely transform how we work in a business and how you how you approach things. You don't have to work nine to five. Not everybody has to be in the same place. You can get stats and reports out of machines that you never got before. You can you can use automation techniques. There are so many ways that you can save time that you weren't able to do over the first part of traditional IT's history. But this isn't recognised by most people who run businesses. Because technology still faces, still is complicated for people. And that's understandable. I can get that. I know a guy in business and what he does is work in the steel industry and he has patents himself to his name for designs for machines that work with steel and for the construction of buildings. And he understands that back to front and inside out. He's qualified in that. And that's what he knows. And he's pretty good with IT as well. But he'll be the first one to admit what he knows is metal and 
he knows manufacturing and then he ha he he does a really good way of understanding technology but his primary focus is on, is on metal and steel because that's what he knows best and the difficulty is he will admit as an engineer that there are aspects of it that he finds complicated or difficult or doesn't understand it's extremely difficult for someone who's coming from a different background who is financial who is from sales background or is creative to understand some of the reasons why an IT system should change from traditional IT to modern IT. It's difficult for people to understand why they don't just keep doing what they've always done. Why don't we just upgrade what we've always done? We had a server five years ago. Let's buy a new server. We had some PCs a few years ago. Let's have some more PCs. Let's keep going like that. But things have changed. There's been a massive paradigm shift in technology and the use of technology in business. It's changed massively in the last few years. I say around five years or so. And this is the big elephant in the room to use that cliched expression that you hear. The, the, the elephant, IT elephant is so big, there's barely any other room in the room for anything else. It's, a, it's becoming a fundamental fact that most business leaders do not understand technology and don't know how to leverage it and how to use technology in their business, modern technology, modern IT systems. The only thing they understand are old IT systems, i.e. what they've always had, and upgrading those and moving them forward. But that's dying a death because you're not getting from those systems what you want to get and you're actually putting a big stress and a risk on your business and this is where we come back to the ransomware because it's traditional it that leaves yourself exposed to ransomware whereas modern it doesn't leave yourself exposed to ransomware and there's a reason for this a traditional it system is exactly what the criminals are looking to target because they know that these kind of systems can be compromised by the software that they write to encrypt the data. The criminals find it much more difficult, for example, to encrypt data that's based in a cloud-based system. They've got to hack into that data center. They've got to hack into multiple instances of data centers. Whereas when they're trying to break into a traditional IT system, all they have to do is get one email to one person and get that person to open that email inside, inside their computer, in their network, and away they go. And they're criminal activity spreads throughout the network criminals know this and they know that it makes it easy now you might say well why with all these advances in technology all this stuff still getting through well how can the criminals still get this stuff sent through to people on email well part of the reason here is this big gulf between the people who run the company and the people who run the it in a business there's a lot of there's a lot of ignoring each other that's going on here there's a lot of people ignoring this elephant in the room and not talking to each other. And there's many a reason why you might feel like that. I mean, anyone who's had conversation with most people in IT have had one of two sort of situations. They've either been patronised to death by some condescending smart ass who makes them feel stupid by showing them something simple and going, oh, well, this is how you do it, and making you feel stupid. Or they've been completely bullshitted with techno babble about a problem and why it's occurred and how quickly the IP person has fixed it in front of them of which the person hasn't learned anything all they've seen is it's been fixed so you've got these people running around who are either creating condescension and so patronising that no one wants to talk to them because they don't want to feel stupid they don't like them so they stay away from them or you've got people who baffle everybody with so much techno stuff that the person who runs the company goes I have no idea what they're talking about I don't know what they do I daren't lose them I daren't upset them because if they go no one knows what they're talking about and you create this big gap where the person who's running IT is in their own little world and the person who's running the business is in their other. And mostly that's IT people who, who really are to blame for that because they've just got a terrible history of talking in jargon and struggling to understand that other people find it difficult to use computers and that other people find it difficult to understand the complexities of what they talk about. They think what they talk about is easy, but it isn't. The same way that the guy I know, when he talks about steel, to him it's straightforward to somebody else it may be difficult it's only straightforward to you if you understand it but it people don't seem to get get that and i'm generalizing them here but i've known a lot of it people and i've been one and i am one and i've worked in the industry for a long time and i think i'm in a position that i can comment on this because i know the people i know how they think and how they operate you stick your head into most it department offices and have a listen or if you were listening to them and they didn't know you will hear a lot of comments about lazy employees thick people management that don't understand them there's a real chip on the shoulder there's a bag of chips on each shoulder with it people they're well balanced in their resentment to others a lot of IT people think everyone else is stupid or ungrateful or both. 
it's a really bad situation and that situation causes those people who run the business the directors the ceos those kind of people to not want to talk to the it people and here we are today with this kind of situation where it is thought thought very lowly of in a business it's a necessary evil yes we have to have it but i don't like it it's expensive it doesn't work very well and I don't like the people who help me when it does work and all they ever do is bring me problems and they want more money and when they do try and help me they patronise me and around we go in this vicious circle of nothing being achieved and it's no surprise to me that most of the CEOs have just gone oh, I'll sod this for a game of soldiers and just ignore IT people and focus on sales, marketing, you know, customer services, operations because all of those people are generally talking the same language. They're talking, they're talking the language of talking to the customer, helping the customer, selling to the customer, understanding the customer's problems, solving the customer's problems. That's something everyone can get behind in a team. That's something that everybody can pull together and have a common goal. It's IT that sits alone at the side, talking techno bubble and moaning and giving everybody else grief because their systems don't work very well. And by systems, I mean traditional IT. Traditional IT breaks all the time. It, wasn't, it, it isn't very reliable. It requires a lot of looking after and hand-holding and tweaking and all these kind of things that you hear about. All the stuff that you see IT people coming in and running this line and checking that and I, I just got to patch this up and restart that and that's fallen over. That's traditional IT for you, left, right and centre. It wasn't very reliable because it was running in your building and it was looked after by you on your equipment and most people who put it together hadn't really put it together very well. They were expecting it to do more than it should do. They didn't really know how to monitor and see if something was going wrong or there was too much for them to monitor and see that was going wrong. They just couldn't keep control of it. So it was very unreliable and it builds resentment. You've got resentment for the people in the department and you've got resentment for the unreliability of what the equipment does as well. Meanwhile, the IT department, who could be talking to the board and the MDs, they're not doing that either. They're not trying to build a bridge either because... Technical people tend to feel valued when they solve technical problems. You'll see that with a lot of IT people, and I've been guilty of it myself. You take pride in what you do. What you do isn't easy, because I'm not saying that IT is simple. It's complicated, and it is hard, and it's a skill, and it's not simple to do. And when you fix something, you feel very proud of what you do. So you want to show people that you can fix things, which is good. It makes you feel good. However, that's not really what you're there to do. You're there to create a system that continues to work, not a system that breaks and then you fix it. You wouldn't accept that in any other way. But without fixing things, IT people tend to feel they're not very valued. They don't feel like they've got any worth, particularly if they're sat around doing nothing because everything's working. They feel really guilty about that. And it's not helped by the fact that other people will then jokingly make a comment to them about what are you doing? You don't do anything. The systems work. So what are you doing? And so you're in a rock and a hard place. So if you want to feel valued in IT or feel that you're worthy of your salary or your time to other people, Running around fixing things all the time can make you look like you're a bit of a star. And people get used to that. They get used to the idea it's going to break, you fix it, and you're a bit of a star. So everybody's, your IT people are starting to justify their own position. Give That gives them self-worth. They justify their own position. They can say why they cost so much in salaries or why they want these budgets. Meanwhile, we've got this, we've got this problem occurring where the board are just fed up with IT. It constantly breaks. The last thing they want to do is give it any more money. They've they'll just you can just keep running as it is because it's breaking you keep fixing i'm not giving you any more money the it people aren't looking at creating solutions that don't ever break because they've got this self-worth issue and justification going on and we're in a really toxic negative situation now does that sound like a situation that you're familiar in is that something that you've experienced because if it is and that's what's happening in your business and you and you really critically take a look at your business and have a think to yourself is this what my IT is like? Do I really understand how technology is working in my business or do I see it as a necessary evil and a cost? Do my IT people talk to me at a board level about profit and loss and productivity and efficiency or do they just talk techno bubble and ask for budgets for new computers every three years? Because if you're in this situation, it's a very dangerous situation to be in because this is the situation that will have affected Hydro this week. This will have been the position that Hydro were in with their IT system. And this is why they were attacked by the ransomware. So let's go into a bit of detail about how this ransomware attack is very likely to have happened at Hydro. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. That's not been released. But the chances are it's going to be in one of the same ways that previous ransomware incidents have happened. It's likely to be very similar. So let's get an understanding of how this happens. So the first thing that's likely to happen 
is that somebody gets sent an email that's got an attachment to it. And that attachment will, is made to look like something that it isn't. It's made to look like a spreadsheet or a image file or a PDF file. And it will be a crafted email that teases you to open it. Here is the invoice for the credit note. Here is important information that I sent to you. Here is the funny picture of XYZ. Those ones still work. It's curiosity. It's an age-old copywriting technique to get people to read an advert. It's give them some curiosity. Humans are curious people and we will open stuff. We can't help but want to know what it is. So if you can get that attachment to someone's desktop, you've got a good chance they're going to open it. And I'll talk a bit later on about in some of the solutions and things that you can do to stop this. But for the moment, we're going to we're going to have to make the assumption that the email system that this business had got wasn't very good at detecting stuff that was dangerous when it was coming through. So it's landed in front of the person. That person opens this file and either one of two things happens. Nothing happens because the malware happens silently in the background and you just assume it's a duff file. More likely, the file actually opens properly and you just get some bump file and you, oh, this isn't for me, it's rubbish, I'll delete it. Silently, what's happened in the background is the criminal's code is running in the background. Now, the criminal's code launches and it has a look at your computer and it goes, right, okay, what data is on this person's computer? Oh, I see, okay. Yeah, Carl's got data in his desktop and his My Documents, I can see those. Ah, he's also got this drive letter called F and H and P. Now, if you've used a Windows computer over the last 10 years, you'll be familiar with what's called a Maps Network Drive or the Network Drive in the business. Everybody knows it. Yeah, it's on the F Drive, it's on the H Drive, and inside that is a series of folders. It's made to look like it's on your computer, but you know it's not. You know it's on one of the servers that's in the building or in another part of the company. However, it looks pretty much like your own computer when you go into it. You can't really tell the difference. That's a mapped drive letter. Well, these ransomwares are designed to look for those kind of drive letters. And let's make let's think that we're a, a branch of hydro and there's a thousand employees in this site and they've got 10 of these map drives that provide all the files and documents for those thousand employees to work on that's going to be a lot of files and documents right over these 10 drives now if the company set themselves up with some level of access control and what i mean by that is finance people get finance drive marketing people get the marketing drive whoever's opened this email with the malware is only going to be able to have that program encrypt the data that's in the drive they've got access to but the problem is again humans like the shortest route to things so they tend to be can i just have access to everything and even if you don't give access to everything to everybody there's usually a lot of people who do and that's usually senior management board level people can I have access to everything give me all the drives i want to see everything so what if the person who gets this criminal's email is somebody who's high up senior management and they've got all 10 drives and now they open the malware, the, t the malware, the ransomware program sees 10 drives and away it goes. And all it does is encrypt every single file that's on that drive. Now, that's not a massive process for the computer to do. You won't really know that the computer's doing it because the criminal will have written the code. So it doesn't use 100% of the computer's resources to do it. He'll have written the code that says only use 25% of the resources of the computer to encrypt the data. So it doesn't slow the machine down. So the user doesn't call IT support or think anything's up. And away it goes, and it will start from A, and it will go down to Z, and it will start with the first drive letter of F, and it will go G, and it will go H, and so on. It will just go through it, file at a time, touch the file, encrypt, touch the file, encrypt, touch the file, encrypt, except faster than that. You know how fast a computer can work. It can do these in seconds. It will go through thousands of files in seconds. Now, I've known customers have millions of files in these kind of drives. Um, the problem came when somebody got a ransomware at, say, half past four in the afternoon, and so it starts encrypting the data from half past four till, say, half five. They don't know it's because they're not working on any files in the F drive that start with A. Nobody is. And instead of closing their computer down when they go home, they're of a kind of company where people leave the computers on at night. So they just turn the screen off. They just leave it on. So, of course, they leave it on. And away it goes trying to encrypt all the data. It's got all night now to encrypt the data. So while they're away, it encrypts every single drive and every single file. Now... That's bad enough. So you've now lost all your files in the business that are Excel, Word, PDF, Publisher, you know, those kind of files. You've lost those files that you might have. Okay, you say, well, that hasn't affected us. We've got our business runs out of a database system. We run a database system for our business. But what if that malware, this ransomware, can scan the network for where database files are stored and encrypt those as well? Well, they can now. These smarter ransomwares can do that. So they can find database files and encrypt those. So the software just looks through the network for everything that it can see. 
And if you've got what's called a flat network, which is a very simply designed network where everything's in the same, same network, it will find everything that's available. And if the user's logged in with the kind of account that's got access to everything, it can see everything. And so it encrypts everything. This is the kind of situation that happens. So when you come in in the morning, everything is encrypted. All the flat files, all your Word, Excel, all that stuff's encrypted. Your database is encrypted. Your SQL databases are encrypted. Your SQL databases is Microsoft product that runs the database for the application that you might have. So you find that your ERP system is encrypted. You'll find that your accounting package is encrypted. You find that your practice management system is encrypted. All of these don't work now. They won't start because the data is encrypted. Now, now all hell's going to start to break loose because you've got two ways to deal with this problem. People are ringing up the help desk going, I can't get into my data, I can't get into my data. The IT department know the files are encrypted. Somebody, the, probably the person who ran the encryption for the first time, restarts their computer. Or sometimes it will appear on their desktop. They'll suddenly notice on their desktop there's a big picture in the middle of the screen that tells them their data has been encrypted and they've been subject to a ransomware. And here's how you pay the ransomware. So you know you've got ransomware happening now. At this stage, nothing works. So everyone's going batshit. Nothing works. There's panic stations. The IT people are sweating. Nothing works. What are your options? What can you do? You've realistically only got two options, and this was what Hydro will have faced. You either restore all the broken systems from your backups and put it back together again, or you pay the criminals the ransom and they give you a file that you run that unencrypts all the data that was encrypted. It's really the only two choices that you've got. I mean, the third option, I suppose, is you close the company down, but that's not really likely the one that anyone's going to take. So you've pretty much got a Hobson's choice there because you don't really have any choice in either of these. But let's, let's look at the two. So we've got two options. Restore the data or pay the criminals. Well, the first one sounds like the best one, doesn't it? Restore the data. We've got backups, you say. Let's restore the data. We've got backups. You have got backups. Everyone's got backups. Let's restore the data. All right. How long does it take to restore the data? Now, this depends on how big the company is and how much stuff you've got. But let's take the example of Hydro. How long does it take to restore the data? Does anybody actually know? When was the last time anybody practiced restoring the data? Ever. Do you know that in your business? When was the last time your IT people practiced restoring your systems? When? On the assumption that they were lost. How long does it take them to restore? If you don't never practiced it, you won't know. I can guarantee you it will take longer than you think it will do. This is something you have to find out. And here's the reason why you've got to find out. Because if you don't know the cost to your business for every hour that you're not trading or manufacturing or servicing your customers, you don't know what it's going to cost you when this happens. And every hour and every minute is going to be the thing that's paining you the most when this situation happens. Because you're going to lose money from not being able to trade, not being able to manufacture or service your customers, and you're going to lose money from your reputation and your brand being damaged because you can't do business so you've got to be able to put a cash number on every 24 hours that you can't run your business hydro will know what theirs was merc did it was 300 plus million you'll know what yours is you've realistically got to say to yourself if we da- if we stopped work now what does it cost us for every hour that we can't work in the business there is a number on that and you need to work out what that number is and the reason you need to work out that what that number is because that number is going to be the money that's going to buy you. You look at that number and say, right, if I spent 50% of that number on protecting this event from ever happening, surely that's worthy of, a, of an investment into my business. Because although you can take the mentality this might not happen to you and it may never happen to you, if it does happen to you and you know what that number is, you've got to ask yourself, can you afford that number? And if you can't afford that number, you're literally saying, I'm prepared to gamble my business completely on it not happening. I'm prepared to roll the dice. And you wouldn't roll the dice in any other area. You wouldn't in any other area take that kind of risk. In many ways, legally, you wouldn't be allowed to with health and safety. You wouldn't run a machine that was potentially dangerous and kill a member of your team if it went wrong. But the chances are it probably won't go wrong. But if it did, it will kill them. There's no way you would have that kind of risk. You would want someone to say to you, that machine is as protected as it possibly can be from going wrong. It is well maintained. It's well looked after. It is as safe as it can possibly be. You wouldn't say that machine has got a 1% chance of malfunctioning and killing the employee, but we're prepared to accept that. This isn't Ford with their Pinto car in the 1970s. This is, you know, this isn't that kind of situation. So that's what you know. That's the cost you're looking at. You've got to put the cash value on it. Costs you to be down. You've got to you've got to put yourself in the situation of hydro and say, what would this cost me in cash money while it's happening? And then you've got a number. 
Now let's go back to the second option that we've got. Now the second option that you've got with ransomware is you pay the criminals. Because they'll tell you how much it costs to give you a file to unencrypt the data. And it's a funny thing with, with this kind of thing. Because I've been through a situation where a ransom was paid. And you pay the ransom and you literally get a file, a really small file that you run on the original computer that was encrypted. And it basically reverses everything that happened. It, because in public key encryption is actually extremely complicated mathematics that makes it almost impossible for you to unencrypt it. However, if you've got the key, if you have the answer, you can unencrypt it in seconds because it's just a, it's just a reverse function. It happens as quickly on doing it as it did doing it because the complexity goes out the window because you have the key, you've got the antidote, you have the answer. So how do you pay the criminals? Well, this is the part that most people don't think about with ransomware. They think, oh, I'll pay the criminals. They just put that in the back of the mind. I'll pay the criminals. Okay, go ahead, pay them then. They don't take backs transfers. You can't write them a check and they don't take PayPal. Criminals don't deal in the worlds that you and I deal in. They deal in the criminal world. And that means they need untraceable money to be paid to them. And that means that you have to pay them in cryptocurrency. And it's the cryptocurrency of their choice. Now, they might make it easy on you. They might make you pay them in Bitcoin. Which is, which is one of the easier cryptocurrencies to get access to. However, where do you go to get access to Bitcoin if you don't know how to do it, if you've never done it before? You can't just go down to the shop and buy some Bitcoin. You can't go down to the exchange at Barclays Bank and change into Bitcoin. Not at the moment, I don't think, anyway. What you have to do is you have to go online and then you have to transfer money into a wallet. So you've got to set yourself up with a Bitcoin wallet and then this is this is a computer cryptographic system. Now you can either have a wallet on your computer, or you can have a wallet in an exchange, which is another com which is a business online. But let's see how much you know. You've got to now start trusting other people online, doing things you don't know how to do. You've got to set up a wallet. You've got to transfer money into it. You've got to wait for that money to transfer out of your standard bank account into the exchange online for them to accept the money. Then you need to convert that money from fiat currency, traditional currency, into Bitcoin currency. And then when you've done that, then you need to transfer that money from the exchange online into your own personal wallet by buying it. And the exchange at that point takes its commission when you do that. And that's how they make their money. So they're helping you to do that. You've got to learn how to do all of that. If you've never used cryptocurrency this is not the time to be starting to learn because it's scary stuff sometimes with cryptocurrency you have to do a video call with somebody and you have to show them your passport to verify who you are as an identification and there's a person sat in a room somewhere in eastern europe who will verify who you are there's loads of weird ways that these exchanges do it online it's i'm not saying that all cryptocurrency is seedy and underworld and criminal based it isn't however it is most definitely not mainstream and therefore it can be very very strange but you can't just go write a check. You can't just pay the criminals. It could take you up to 48 hours to get your Bitcoin wallet with coins in. And then you've got to know how to transfer that money into their address. And then you've got to trust that when you do that, they actually give you back what that you want. It's not as straightforward just to pay the criminals. It can be done, but it's not as straightforward as you would think. So again, you need to know your number for the time because all this time that this is going on waiting to pay the criminals. You can't trade, you can't service your clients, you can't manufacture you are losing reputation, you're breaking contracts and agreements, you've got brand damage happening. This is going to be costing you a lot of money. And I don't care if you're Hydro or whether you're a three-man design company in Telford, there's a value on that. And what about this ransom? What if it's 100 Bitcoin? Well, as of today, yesterday, 20th of March 2019, a Bitcoin is worth £3,017. So do you have £301,700 available? What if you can't afford the ransom? Well, let's let's put it in the position that you can't afford the ransom. The ransom is ridiculous. The criminals have put it. So now you've got to do the restoration. And say, you don't know how long it takes to restore this data. You've got to restore this data over the old data. So once you start restoring it, that overwrites the old data. So you can never go back to where you were before. And low, people don't like doing that. Not IT people really don't like doing that. So where are you going to get the spare capacity to restore into to make sure it works? How far back are you going to restore your email system, your database system? You are talking at a seriously difficult situation to deal with. Seriously difficult situation to deal with, even in a small business. Even in a business that's got one server, this is, this is a difficult situation to restore the entire server back to a point in time and be able to accurately say that that is correct. 
very, very difficult, very time consuming and very costly. Who's gonna do this for you? Who are you having to pay? Who are you gonna call if you don't have IT people and you don't have IT support? Who's gonna help you with this? Do you know what you're gonna do? This can be a really horrendous situation, extremely stressful, really, really stressful beyond people's belief. Now, the best remedy for anything is not to get ill. How can we prevent it? That's what you want to do. How can we prevent these things from happening? Well, let's have a look at what Hydro might have done wrong. I'm, I'm fairly confident they're probably going to have been running older versions of Windows. An older version of Windows, I mean previous to Windows 10, because they're a manufacturing environment, and many times you find the equipment in manufacturing environments that run CNC machines, cutting machines, laser machines, etc., are running on older software because they're very expensive machines and the computers that come inside them are equally as expensive in relation to the machine, although they are still just a PC. And so people are very low to upgrade them. If you spent a million pounds on a CNC cutting machine and it came with Windows Vista on the computer and the manufacturer of the CNC machine comes back to you and says, yeah, it's time to upgrade the software on your CNC machine. That's working fine, by the way. Your CNC machine's working just fine. And they say, yeah, you need to upgrade to Windows 10 and our latest version. It'll cost you $20,000 to do that on your million pound machine. But you bought your million pound machine secondhand for £500,000 with the software with it. You're not going to spend twenty thousand pounds. You've just spent five hundred thousand pounds. You don't want to spend twenty thousand pounds. It's working. Why would you? Why would you do that? It's not broken. So why would you change? And this is why people don't change. They buy the machine secondhand, and I totally understand why. Because a brand new CNC machine is a serious investment, and a secondhand CNC machine might be exactly what your business needs at half the price. But the problem is you don't buy it with support and you don't buy it with the upgraded software. You buy it with the older software. And although the system will do what you want it to do in terms of cutting the metal, it's a vulnerability because it's running something like Windows Vista or Windows 7 or Windows XP, which are no longer supported. Well, Vista and XP are no longer supported by Microsoft. And Windows 7 goes out of support with Microsoft in January 2020. And if you don't have the latest version of Windows software with all the updates, that means you're more at risk of when the criminal sends the file of you having it be able to run on your machine and find a software vulnerability and exploit it. And don't forget, if this machine in the manufacturing environment at Hydro is on the same network that the office computers are on, and the office computer is the one where the person runs the criminal's program, and the criminal program then searches the network and finds the CNC machine and sees that it's vulnerable and then infects that machine, that's where you have the problem. So this is where it comes from. So I would bet, first one, is they're running older versions of Windows and you should always run the latest version of Windows and try and keep them as up to date as you possibly can. But you should all be running Windows 10. Now the next one is I'll bet, well I know they're not, I know they're not running a modern email system like Gmail. I know they're not because I can look this up by having a look at the configuration of Hydro's email. This stuff is all available online, it's nothing secret. And this is partly what criminals do as well. All the setup for your email in your business, so the domain name, so in my company, Kimberly.com, you can put that into tools and it'll tell you where, who I use for my email system and where it delivers to and what kind of settings I've got set up. And if I'm the criminal, I can see that my email delivers to an old-fashioned email system, a traditional IT system, not a modern email system like Gmail, and I don't have some of the settings that are there for security setup. Well, that's like a house that's left unlocked. I look like a nice target. It looks easier to target me. So now I'm going to target. I'm going to send emails to that business. I'm going to send them to every single person in that business. And I'm going to get one of them to open that email. If I get one person to open the email that I've sent with the link in it that I want, I'm done. I'm in. I've broken in and I can encrypt the data and I can get you to pay me the ransom. And the problem businesses have is that they believe that by running their own anti-spam systems and systems that detect viruses, or not having a system that actually does that, just having the email come through, is enough. It isn't. It isn't enough to have Office 365. Office 365 on its own hasn't got enough security filtering to do the job, and I know that because you ask anybody who runs Office 365 if they put something in front of it to scan the email before it delivers to Office 365, and 90% of them will. The 10% who don't, don't know what they're doing. The other 90% will put something in front of it. Another product, not a modern system. A modern system like Gmail, which has got 1.4 billion users and is using constant artificial intelligence to look at every every email that's coming through, has got the highest level of security for detecting this stuff. 
but even Gmail will have a moment in which something will get through. Nothing is 100%, but you are most likely to be protected with a modern email system like Gmail. Because, for example, if you get an email that comes through and it's trying to pretend to be someone else in your business, but it's not, but it's pretending to be Kyle at Kimberly.com sending it to James, but it's not really me, it's forged, it's spoofing my name, you'll get a big red rant banner across the middle of the screen that says, this is a dodgy email. It literally says that, you know, this is a suspicious email. I don't think it's what you should do. And you should listen to Google. Your human being will want to go, no, let's have a look at it. Your curiosity will kick in. You'll want to look at it. Don't look at it. The computer knows better than you. It's not an insult. Don't take it personally. This is a bank of computers. This is millions. These computers that all it does is no email. If you ask this computer to give you its opinion on a piece of music by Wagner, it can't do that. Okay, it cannot give you a critique of some music. But what it bloody does know is email and how email works. And it knows what spam looks like and it knows what viruses look like. It knows that's what it does. That's all it does. It's like the Terminator to it. And it will not absolutely stop until it stops all the email. So I am sure. And I know, Hydro, we're not running a sophisticated modern email system like Gmail. And this was one of the reasons why the stuff got through. This is one of the reasons why the criminal's email got onto the desktop of one of the people in the employ- one of the employees in the business. So let's assume something gets to, onto the desktop of the employee. We're running Windows 10, but it's got through in front of us. Now what happens? Okay. Well, the next thing that they probably didn't do right was they let people install applications on their computers. Which means, in other words, in the IT world, it means they were admin. Let the people be administrators on their machine. And if you're an admin on a machine, that means you can install software. So you can do anything you want on your computer if you're an administrator. A similar name is root in the world of Linux. If you're the if you're the boss, you can do whatever you want. Now the problem with that is, it means if you run a piece of software. It may not even prompt you on the screen to do anything. It will just happen because you clicked it. You said run. It runs the computer. You're the boss. You tell it what to do. It does it. You don't really want that with a computer. Not when it's that level of stuff. You want the computer to open the programs that you want that are safe. It just open the programs for you. But if you're telling the computer to make a change, or it's something that will change it, and it's at that level of you want the computer to say, are you sure you want to do this? So that's the next one is you sometimes will get a message that says, are you sure you want to install this? Yes, no. You're still the boss, but there's a notification. You click yes, and it happens. That's a bit better, but it's still not what you want. What you really want to be working as a normal person in day-to-day is you want to be a non-administrator on your computer. That means when you try to run a piece of software, the computer goes, no. No, you're not an administrator. You can't do it. Please enter the administrator's username and password to do it. That gives you the best chance of protection. Now, it won't work with every single one of these malwares because some of the criminals will write this code in a clever way so that it will execute inside the part of the computer as a user that you're allowed to actually write to, you know, your desktop documents, things like that. There's parts of Windows that even if you're not an administrator, you're allowed to do almost like administrator stuff with in order for you to be able to use the computer properly. However, it depends on what you get. Some of the criminals are smart. Some of the criminals aren't so smart. Some of them aren't even criminals. They're just people who've bought this stuff on the dark web and are having a go at it themselves. Hobbyists, literally, just individuals who bought it. They haven't programmed anything. They've bought a pack of stuff off criminals for a couple of hundred dollars, like a ransomware kit, and it's got instructions on how to do it, and the criminals will support them with it and help them, like literally like that kind of service. So you're not dealing with the smartest of people. Now, if you're not dealing with the smartest of people, you might get one of those bits of software. When you try and run it, it pops up. That's what you want. You never want to work as administrator on your computer. So if you're an administrator on your computer because you have the because the IT department have let you, because you've got the default saying, or because you I want to install software when I want, here's what you need to do. You can be administrator. What you want to do is run as a normal user, and when you want to install something, have an administrator account on your computer that you have to type the username and password in when you want to do it. That means you can still install software when you want to. However, it means that if you run something that you're not, you didn't think you should have run, you will get a message on your screen, and it'll give you a chance to get out. It'll give you a moment to stop and think. And even if it did still run, you you will remember the moment you did it. So it'll give you a bit of time to maybe even report this to the IT people. I'll be sure that there were people at Hydro who were administrators on machines, and therefore, when they ran something, it just happened. Back to email again. Here's another thing that Hydro haven't done, and I know they haven't done. They don't have all of their email set up in the most secure way. 
There's three really important settings with emails, all of which are free to do. They're all part of the DNS system. DNS is basically the address book of where things are on the internet. It, it tells computers where to send emails with the at Kimberly.com address. It tells people where www.kimberly.com is on the internet, where it actually is. It's like an address book for the internet DNS. And there's three parts of this that are called SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. And this stuff's very techie. And if you want to know more about that, just Google SPF, DKIM, and DMARC, and you'll get the Wikipedia pages. And the articles are very good on this kind of thing if you're so inclined to understand these. But these three settings are ways of verifying that when email is sent, it's actually coming from the person who's claiming to send it, i.e. that Kimberly, it's Kyle at Kimberly.com sending email when, I, when it arrives as Kimberly.com. And it's a way of another person checking that I am who I say I am. Again, it's not fix-all. Certainly, SPF is pretty old now. However, it still has its validity in certain cases. DKIM is about the best one. What DKIM does is allow you to encrypt. It allows you to add a unique signature to an email that then is checked against a record that you put in DNS. So every time I send an, an email that purports to be from Kimberly.com, it puts it inside the email. And that means the person who's receiving its computer can look up the DNS record and see if the two match. And if the two match, it's coming from Kyle because I because I sent it it can it can tell that because inside my email is the same unique code that's in DNS and two match so it must come from me if anybody else is doing it if anyone else is sending email pretending to me they can't generate that unique code because that unique code only comes from my email system my Gmail so they can't forge it which means when somebody else checks to see if this email is genuinely from Kyle, it looks like it is, the two unique codes don't match or there isn't a unique code in email and Gmail and the other person's email system will see that and go, this is probably dodgy and will either notify you or block the email or make it more likely to be detected as spam or junk or dangerous. Now, Hydro, for example, didn't have DKIM set up at all. So this is probably the best one for this kind of situation is DKIM. And they didn't have it not set up and that's that's huge it's still not set up now a couple of days later why it's free it's crazy it's free to do and it only gives you another level of extra security it's not going to cause you any problems having dkim isn't going to cause you any problems it's only going to increase it of course you've got to have a modern it system to implement dkim and that means you've got to have gmail or office 365 if you're running your own exchange servers or you're running your own servers or you're running other types of email system that are available online, they don't have this That's what, and you don't have it. And without it, you leave yourself very vulnerable to people pretending to be you and forge emails. And it's very easy if someone can pretend to be you and send an email to another employee, but it's actually external because they go, oh, yeah, I know Kyle. Yeah, yeah, Kyle heads up sales. I recognize him. So immediately they think it's my email. So they think they can trust me. So they think the attachment that's with it is from me because they trust me and so they open it because that's preying on people's vulnerabilities to trust each other and this is very very likely what's happened at hydro that somebody has done that they've recognized they don't have the dkim record and they've done it and they've exploited it so why why haven't they got why weren't these records in place for hydro i'm going to call it it's an industry best practice to do this stuff so there's only two reasons that i can think of that this hasn't happened it's the IT people for that business are either incompetent or lazy. I can't see which other one it is. It's if they're incompetent because they didn't know to employ Deakin, which means they're not very good at what they do, so they shouldn't be doing it because they're not competent enough. Or they couldn't be bothered. Which other one have you got? Lazy or incompetent, neither are good. At least one's honest, I suppose. Incompetence more honest than lazy. But you need to look at this in your business. If you don't have DKIM set up on your email, SPF, DKIM, and possibly DMARC, DMARC is, is still hit and miss as to whether it, it actually has much effect or not effect. Certainly SPF or DKIM. If you, if you don't have those set up on your email address, why? Why? It's free. It says speaks volumes to me when a company doesn't have those set up on their email and they've got IT people. That says everything I need to know about their IT people in their business and the people they're working with. They are incompetent or lazy. And now you need to sit down and have a conversation with yourself about this because there's no way around it. It's incompetent or lazy. And then you've got to say, are you prepared to accept in your business everything you've worked for and all your other people work for is in the hands of people who can't be bothered to do this or don't know how to do it? Why do you accept it? Why do you accept it? You won't accept an incompetent lawyer. You won't accept an incompetent financial person. Why will you accept an incompetent IT person? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. 
and it might come down to you do you really value it in your business do you value it or do you think it's just a waste of time and do you not value it because you don't understand it and if you don't understand it that's fine i get it that's fair enough i don't understand everything that's technical about other things i don't understand loads of things in life but what I do understand is that if I don't know something, I need to find somebody who does. If I have something that's, if I had something that's, if I had a lump, if I had a lump in my testicles, I'm a male. If I had a lump in my testicles, hey, I'm going to go see a doctor. I'm not going to guess what it is. I know it's not meant to be there. And this is the same with IT and the busy. You know it's not meant to be this way, but you still accept it. Go and see an expert. I would see a doctor. You see an expert. You don't guess yourself. If you do, you end up dead. I don't know how else to put this kind of stuff. You need to check into this. I've written an article on it that I'm going to put into the show notes. James will put that into the show notes, which is on LinkedIn, which is really a written version of what I've talked about here, what the Hydro ransomware attack really says about the state of IT and business today. Everybody's going to get hacked. The criminals will come after everybody. You'll either be prepared or you won't. And you've got to decide what kind of leader you want to be when that time comes. What sort of person you want to be? You want to be the kind of person that said, I don't understand IT, but I know it's really important and I'm going to get some people to help me who do. And then you're going to, not only are you going to be safer and more secure, you're actually going to get some fantastic benefits. Or are you going to be the kind of person that says, nah, it won't happen to me. I'll be all right, Jack. I'm not interested. I'm not bothered. Because when it does, you need to be prepared. And if you haven't done the things I've described in this podcast, it's a good chance it's going to get you. And if it gets you, it's going to really, really hurt. And you might not recover. You might recover and it might just be a pain. But I'm telling you, anyone who's been through it, you don't want to go through it. It'll stress you out. It will stress you out. It will cause you grief. It'll take time off your life. It'll take money out of your back pocket. It won't take it deliberately. It will take it out of your back pocket. You'll lose customers. You'll lose sales. It will take money off you. And if money's important to you, you don't want to lose it. So don't. Deal with it now. Prevention is better than a cure. Always. I don't think there's much more I can say about it. That's it. Go read the article. Ransomware's no joke. Look what it's done to Hydro. It could do it to your business too. Thank you for listening to this one. It's uh, quite a long podcast I've gone into and a little bit ranty, perhaps a little preachy. I don't know. You tell me. If you want to leave some comments and get back to James and I, leave them in, in there. We've got other podcasts on our YouTube channel. There's James and I do a weekly podcast together and there's more episodes of No Techno Bubble. Have a listen to those. Let me know what you think. We are genuinely out there trying to make businesses better through technology. It's what we love to do. It's what's really important to us. It can be a wonderful world of fun and joy and easiness and simplicity and beauty if you want it to be and safety. It doesn't have to be all nightmares. It's up to you. You're the only one who can make the difference. I'll see you on the next podcast. Bye.